Hello, and welcome back to Movie Remake Time, the Filmmaker's Compass podcast, where we take a look at reboots, remakes, sequels, and ask the very simple question, who did it best? I'm CP, this is D-Man. I have a confession to make. Yes. I love hedgehogs, and I love (laughs) Sega. So naturally, I love Sonic the Hedgehog. It's actually really interesting because as you mentioned in the opening sequence, today's episode is focusing on Sonic the Hedgehog and Sonic the Hedgehog 2, which is a direct sequel. So even though this is movie remake time, we're not actually looking at a remake or a reboot, but a sequel. Sometimes that's a little bit interesting because you never know if sequels can recapture the magic of the original. We're gonna have to determine if Sonic the Hedgehog 2 does that today. This is usually in your wheelhouse, but if you're watching this podcast, see, you know, CP, you want to show off your shirt a little bit. He's wearing uh, a Sonic the Hedgehog shirt and there's a couple action figures. I assume he's wearing underwear that is Sonic and you might have some bed sheets over there. I do. I do. Sonic (laughs) bed sheets, Sonic pajamas, Sonic towels in my bathroom. Well done. uh... (laughs) You'd be a hero at Frank and Sons collectibles up here in LA. Shout out. I love it. Well, anyway, let's go ahead and dive into the episode this week and take a look at the two movies. So first of all, I think it's worth noting this is a true sequel. So Sonic 2 felt very much an extension of Sonic 1. They're very similar tonally. And even though there are some slight differences, it uses the same actors, same voice actors, and the same wonderful, incredible Jim Carrey. Yes. What were the biggest differences that stood out to you? I think for me, Sonic 1 was the studio Paramount and Sega probably weren't really sure who the audience for this film was. It had been a while since the Genesis era and even really a a major Sonic game has come out. I don't think that they knew whether this was a film for diehard video game fans, for young kids, for families, what? And so I think they were kind of playing it safe. I think that the second film, they said, look, original Sonic film made close to $300 million in the box office. We know the people that are going to go see it. Let's make a movie for them. The second one is much more in line with the universe created in the video games and those storylines, and it's much more for the fans. Yeah, I actually agree with that assessment. I felt that the second one feels to me a little bit more cartoony or video game-ish, not only in some of the animation, but also the addition of Knuckles and Tails and some of the video game lore and myth from the Sonic series. I also got that vibe, especially when you look at the production design of the Sonic the Hedgehog character in the first one. I feel like initially they were trying to develop Sonic to be kind of like the real life (laughs) Sonic. How would he look if he was real? But he's a blue hedgehog. Real hedgehog. You didn't follow the production and development of the first Sonic movie. There was a massive, massive online controversy when they released the first trailer and they had this kind of weird looking hedgehog with like these sharp teeth and he didn't look like the video game character. He had very small eyes. Yeah, and Sonic's known for like those eyes that connect. They take up probably a third of his face and if you're watching this, you can see it on CP's shirt. That's how he's supposed to look. Well, he didn't look like that. And that, uh, along with the actual story and how the first one plays out, leads me to believe that the first movie was indeed trying to appeal to everyone. Instead, the second one, I agree. Now they know who their audience is. The first one was actually successful and kind of delightful. Kind of surprised I liked it because I didn't expect to. It was pretty cool. But the second one, I feel like it knows much more what it is, who their audience is, and it really gears it towards that. And it's like, hey, listen, if you didn't like the first one, probably won't like this one, and we're fine with it. Mm-hmm. Side note, though, I wanted to throw this over to you, but when it comes to that design controversy of the Sonic character design, 
How do you feel about them changing it to appease the fan outrage? You don't see that a lot. A lot of times no. studios stick to their guns and they say like, you're going to have to live with it. And, and I understand it sets a very difficult precedent for studios. I think Warner Brother probably has regrets over the decision to release the Snyder cut because now, since then, there's been pushes for the Schumacher cut, the Ayer cut. Every DC movie now, the fans are clamoring for the original director's version. To some extent, they probably regret the decision. I think it's really amazing that Paramount listened to the feedback of the fans. We love this character. This is not what we want. This is not the character that we know. I think it's really amazing that they were willing to go back. And I mean, I've seen estimates between somewhere, you know, of, of 5 million to 25 million. There's a couple different figures out there in terms of what they spent to reanimate Sonic. And I think it's really amazing that they listened to the fans in this instance. Well, it paid off. Once they re-released that same trailer with the updated character design, the fan response was much more positive, and it did translate to the box office. The first movie ended up being a box office hit, surprisingly got decent reviews, although story-wise, other than the character design, not much changed. But mm. it's a visual movie. It's a visual delight. There's a lot of color, a lot of zipping across the screen. That should be a big part of what people enjoy is seeing Sonic doing his thing. And if he doesn't look like Sonic, you're kind of like, I don't, what am I doing? It's yeah. like one of those cheap knockoff action figures or video games when you were a kid where it's like, Steve the Hedgehog and <laughs> you're like it's not really Sonic and then like your grandma would get you that action figure and you'd be like it's not the real one this is not what I wanted but thank you grandma you know the, the grandmas didn't know they tried yeah. their best you know as adults you gotta you gotta appreciate it but <laughs> Steve the Hedgehog thanks grandma as far as design goes, when you look at a movie, the filmmakers, they know what they're doing and they're going to stick to their guns and be like, no, trust me, like this is what I want to do. You know, for instance, like George Lucas with the prequel trilogy, all the Star Wars fans were like, listen, George, give us old Star Wars. But he's like, no, I'm doing something. I got to respect that. And there's my Star Wars reference. <laughs> I got to respect that. But here with Sonic, I feel like these movies, even though the first one's kind of going for general audiences, to a certain degree, they are made for the fan. The story itself does not have this ultra a profound universal okay another good example have you seen the movies paddington and paddington 2 uh yes of course i have i have not seen them but i have read about them because what's fascinating is those movies are like universally beloved they kind of transcend the whole like bear thing where sonic doesn't made for the fans so yeah. give the fans what they want just because Paddington doesn't look exactly like his book counterpart or the way people maybe imagined him, the story is so good and universally beloved that it can transcend that. And here, I just don't see it. I think part of the decision is Jeff Fowler, granted, the first Sonic movie was his directorial debut. He worked in the oh, wow, I didn't know that. animation side of the world. This was his first opportunity to direct. But him, Pat Casey, and Josh Miller, the screenwriters, were really diehard Sonic fans and talked about how they loved the game kids. And so I think having creatives who were so invested and connected to the character, I think it's one of those instances where they realized that it wasn't true to form and were willing to go back. I'm, I'm thinking they must have battled Paramount pretty extensively to convince them to spend additional funds to get it right. Like we said, number two is an extension of number one. I felt number two story felt a little bit more video game-esque. You get to the end boss, the death egg. <laughs> Obviously, it was a little bit more cartoony. There was, a, I don't want to say better, but like stylized action. Kind of get to see the levels up. I don't know. I thought, I thought the second one from a video game standpoint worked pretty well, where the first one felt more like a character introduction. 
it literally is like Sonic in Green Hills, Sonic in Russia, Sonic at Hawaii, Sonic at the maze. Each one of those has the feel of a level, right? He's traveling between them right, ring to ring like he does in the game. When you look at the stories, they actually do work. The first movie deals a lot with his like loneliness and desire to have a family. Yeah, It's kind of a universal theme. I'm sure there's a lot of people who have felt like that or even felt like that within their own family. I actually really enjoyed the second one's story, which is at the beginning, they throw out this concept of Sonic wanting to be a hero. Yeah, He's jumping in and, and saying like, well, how do I be a hero? And they have a good lesson in there. Heroes are heroes when the time comes and your time will come. There will be a problem or some sort of dilemma where your skill set will be needed to solve it and you'll be the hero. But heroes don't go looking for trouble, rise to the occasion when it calls for it. I thought they do a pretty good job of showing that, you know, maybe if the movie was slightly braver, they might have explored the concept of Sonic going out and looking for trouble, causing trouble you know, inverting that and becoming a little bit of a villain himself in his pursuit of being a hero. But then again, I mean, I don't know if the movie wants to go so deep, a lot more fun to just level hop. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. Which story do you think did it better? The first one is not the most in line with the property, but I think it's a better look because it introduces the character. It gives him a real world problem. It's a quest to find his place and find his family. And I think that's universal. You know, everyone can relate to that. Something I want to ask you about the second one. What do you think about the addition of Knuckles and Tails? Because they are fan favorites. I thought it was great. I was a little concerned that introducing two major characters from the storyline in the same movie would be a bit much, but I thought they did a good job. I thought both of them were very much true to form. I thought they showcased the aspects of them that fans love and make the two unique and different from Sonic. Both of those characters had their moments throughout the film that made it fun. Now, who were the voice actors? Was that Idris Elba? Idris Elba was the voice of Knuckles. (laughs) I was shocked when I heard it. I was like, wait, what? Is right. that how you pictured him sounding? Uh, Knuckles? I guess one of my complaints would be that listening, because I've heard the Knuckles in the cartoon and in the, the video game for years, hearing Idris Elba as Knuckles, I'm just like, that, that's Idris Elba. Yeah, you know- He's I, got I such was, a distinct voice. When he started talking, I was like, huh. Even Tails, to a certain degree, that was how I thought Tails would talk. But as far as the voice acting went, I still thought the character of Sonic was the best. His voice seemed to line up with his actual character and his motions and all that best. The other ones, I don't know, there were times where I felt like the voices were over the characters, but it didn't necessarily, there was something about maybe the animation. It just didn't feel 100% to me. One of the things I want to ask you is this. I know a lot of diehard Sonic fans, one of their complaints about both movies is the fact that Sonic is presented as a kid. You know, I think in the games, he's a little older, more like a a teenager, kind of in his attitude and his mentality. What did you think? Do you think it works? Do you think that was a detriment? Obviously, it's kind of a change of form. And what do you think about Knuckles and Tails? I think it works. Obviously, they're going, like we said, when you're looking at the first one, he's lonely and is looking for a family and looking to belong. And the second one, he's looking to become a hero. That's very much coming of age stories. As far as like what his actual ages. I mean, if you're just going to get technical, sure. But I mean, to me, I feel like, yes, he's adolescent. These are maybe lessons that he needs to learn to be the the Sonic that we kind of all know from the video Mm -hmm. games. So I thought it worked. Tails to me was always 
especially in the cartoon, because my brother and I, we used to watch the cartoon before we would go to school in the mornings. Mm-hmm. Tails was, I don't know. I don't know why. I just always thought of him as kind of like a little bitch. <laughs> <laughs> he uh, just, well, he's the youngest of the three. I guess yeah, you don't like just, smart people. That's what it comes down to, man. I don't know. He just always <laughs> kind of followed Sonic around. He'd suddenly show up and like be like, oh, I know what to do. And you're like, well, where the hell was this? <laughs> Knuckles, I thought was pretty cool. I mean, I liked the way they introduced him as the villain, as was the case in the video game. Again, like you said, that's kind of true. And then Knuckles obviously became a fan favorite. And people, it's almost like Venom from Spider-Man where he was a villain, but everybody was like, guy is so cool. Maybe bring him back in a different capacity so we can root for him because he's awesome. And in a video game sense, I would like to play that character. Even though it's funny because they all had individual things like Tails literally could do the helicopter thing and Knuckles had his own stuff. So they were slightly different as playable characters. Yeah. Yeah. But generally speaking, I mean, they were all somewhat similar. I like the way they do it here. And I like, obviously, you know, Knuckles does join up and he becomes a part of the family and all that. So I thought it kind of works. Jim Carrey. When I first heard that Jim Carrey was going to be Robotnik, I was kind of scratching my head. After seeing him in two movies, I totally love him. And I like the evolution from taking him from real world pseudo Bond villain character in the first movie and watching his evolution into a character much more identical to the one that we saw in the video game in appearance, in in motive and the over over the top technology. What did you think of Jim Carrey? And I mean, are you curious as I am as to how they managed to land him in this role? (laughs) I think, I don't want to say he was retired from acting, but he was definitely on like a hiatus or a break. Them landing him, it's a very Jim Carrey role, a very 90s Jim Carrey role. It's eccentric. You need kind of those quirky voices in order to make that humor work. And I mean, in a lot of ways, when you're doing something that's a little bit more maybe silly or adolescent, you kind of need an adult who's willing to go all in. And that's kind of what he brings to the table is this all in sense that it's okay to have fun here. The thing is, I think it works better in the second one. He has a better understanding of the character himself, but the writing also leads to more of his eccentric qualities as a villain, but in a villain capacity. I think especially that first scene in the movie, the first movie, when he's introduced and he kind of walks out and there's like the military. It Neil McDonald's feels, in it for like one minute. <laughs> yeah, it's like almost really jarring. We're supposed to be the, the soldiers. There are surrogates in the story here, and he's very weird. While that is true, true. He is kind of an eccentric, weird guy. It just felt jarring. Are we supposed to laugh with him or at him? I didn't know. Where in the second one, again, I think they just have a better sense how the character works and all that. He feels like he's in his place. At the end, he gets to be the big bad. The death egg. The other thing that makes him work so well in these movies is the decision to add the Agent Stone character. Okay. It gives him someone to play off of who is kind of the intermediate between... For one, he can be the straight man to to Jim Carrey's. And you always kind of need that. You need somebody. But also we need the guy who's the middleman between the outsiders and Jim Carrey. Yeah. Translating Dr. Robotnik's speak and and motive and energy to regular people. Because that's what I'm saying. In that introduction, it feels like it's Robotnik to outside world. And it's very jarring. Kind of feel like these military guys. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Who is this guy? That may have been what they were going for, but it leads to the Jim Carrey extreme acting, doing all the manic type stuff. In our mind, it was almost like, is it working? But in this one, I feel like it's work. It's firing on the right cylinders and it feels right. It feels much more at home in the second one. 
Yeah, I certainly hope he comes back for the third one because I know he again has announced his decision to step away from acting and I hope that he does make one more uh, one more. I was appearance. reading a couple quotes from him though. He was excited to come back and do the second one. He said the first one was very fun, that he enjoyed his time working on the movies. So it may oh, be good. likely that he'll return. I didn't hear him say really anything negative. Although funnily enough, Jim Carrey has done a few interviews where he's expressed regret over past roles and some of the stuff that he's done. So this was not included. He seemed to really like Sonic. That's so good. we'll see how this one, I don't, I didn't check the box office. I don't know if this one's crushed it as much as the first one. I mean, generally sequels don't so their expectations were probably lower and also they didn't have to remake half the movie. last i saw the numbers are almost on par it's pretty similar in terms of theatrical su- success i thought this was funny when they track demographics going to this movie the number one demographic and i think i don't want to quote it for sure but i think it was like 61 percent were males between the ages of 18 and 35 all the guys that grew up playing this game as little kids are the ones that are going to see it in the theater. But see, that's you're making it for the fans, then. Yeah. You know, that's yeah. you got to know your audience and you got to know that, yeah, I mean, they're coming because they want to see their childhood video game brought to life. I don't know. I think it's awesome. I think it worked too, surprisingly, because I had really low expectations for this. Two movies that I was actually wrong about, I, I did predictions. This and Jurassic World. I did not think either would do well at the box office and they both crushed it. That initial trailer, you know me, dude, I said it. I'm a huge Sonic fan and seeing that first trailer, I was like, hell no, there's no way I will ever go see this movie. This looks terrible. They have no idea who this character is. Such a turnaround. What's weird too is this movie, the first Sonic movie did come out right before the pandemic. Yeah, okay. It was like three right weeks before, before all yeah. the shutdown. I mean, we don't really know. I think a lot of the success of it kind of came later with word of mouth as people were saying, no, it was actually a good movie. So it would have been interesting to see how it performed if there wasn't a global shutdown a few weeks sure. after release. I think a lot of movies, you know, I think Christopher Nolan wonders how Tenet would do, but I have a <laughs> feeling I know how it would have done. It would have made a lot of money, but it wouldn't have been his best blockbuster yet. I mean, the pandemic itself, when you look at its impact on box office receipts, I think they're literally saying the joke in box office commentary online is that like, unless you're a Marvel movie, don't expect to like knock it out of the park. Sonic has kind of proven that not that it stands among Marvel movies, particularly Spider-Man, which was crazy. It has proved that there's an audience out there and that it can still warrant a theatrical run, which is pretty cool. Yeah. On that note, I did want to ask you, did you ever play the Sonic video games? Did you have a Sega? Uh, Yes, I played the Sonic video games. Come on. I actually have one of the Sega emulators. So I have all the original. Yeah. Yeah, I have all the original ones. And they're actually a lot of fun. But I just wanted to tell you how frustrating Sonic was because when it initially came out on Sega, you could not save it. Oh my gosh, it was the worst, dude. So you'd like leave your Sega on like overnight so you could like keep playing when you got back from school or when you woke up in the morning. (laughs) Yeah. So you'd turn your TV off and leave your Sega on and try to hide it from like your mom because she would come in and like pick up your crap. And then she'd be like, oh, he left his game console on. What an idiot. You know, that, that that was the worst thing. And the best thing about the re-release of the Genesis was the decision to include a save feature. I know. You know what's funny too is like when you actually think of Sonic in terms of his life in the game, it's associated with just having a ring. And you can collect as many rings as you want. And then obviously like if you get hit, they all burst out and you collect as many as you can. I always loved that it like instead of just having a health bar like most video games, it was like, no, you can collect more rings. As good as you can manage that throughout the level is however far you're going to go. 
Yeah, it was always a cool idea. But it was weird because sometimes like you'd be like, oh crap, there's only one ring. So you have like two hits left and you're screwed. Well, the other fun thing that I always thought was really cool about the Sonic games, and I know this was kind of intentional on behalf of Sega, was to be good, you have to go fast. The faster you go, the less likely Sonic is to get hit by things. And as you slow down to try and navigate and dodge, that's when you get hit. And I always thought that was a fun, like with running over the spikes and stuff, you could do it as long as you went fast. And I always thought that was fun that that was a requirement of the game, you know, rethinking the way that you play video games. Can we also acknowledge the sound design of 80s, 90s video games? Oh, so fun. I mean, in fact, I love it when they, at the beginning, when when they do the, the ring sound, change the stars to the rings. But yeah, no, the, the sound design of those games was so much fun. It's funny because you look at like Super Mario, you look at Sonic, you look at Mortal Kombat, you look at a lot of these games that came out of that era. And the sound effects, I mean, you hear them, they're instantly recognizable. If you heard it, I, I can't hum it, but early level Sonic music, his yeah. zip, his zip sound, yep. uh, hitting the rings once you win the level. I mean, it was all instantly. Even like the Sonic jump noise. Yeah. All it that just stuff. worked. And I don't know. I, I just want to give props to those game designers because I'm like, part of making something so memorable is the sound design. You look at Zelda game and the MIDI music and all this stuff. I'm like, wow. Yeah. Sorry. I know we're supposed to talk about the movies, but that stuff just blew me away because I was like, man, you guys created a lot of iconic stuff out of like tones. It's amazing. Yeah. No, I mean, and it's memorable, right? You hear it to this day and you know exactly what it's from. And I think part of it too is like when you actually think about how it was done, they were so limited in what they could include. It's like you had to make the most of every sound effect. And then yeah. they do. Instead yeah. of having like, oh, we have endless options. Like let's make different sounds for everything. They just made it work out. Huh? Back to the movie, there's a couple sequences, especially in Sonic 1, where they just own who Sonic is. I love the sequence at the baseball diamond. Yeah, me too. I think that's so fun. And like, what other character could you- Where he's playing baseball with with himself. Yeah, he's the only person, but he's playing all the positions. I also love the bar fight scene, which yeah. is, you know, it was inspired by some of the X-Men sequences and Flash sequences. And, and I felt the X-Men, yeah. Big superhero movies. Again, you have a character like Sonic, way to have fun with it and just own who he is. You do have to acknowledge that too, that you think of Quicksilver, the Flash, Sonic, they're all, they all kind of have that same power. Some of the movies, like you said, him playing baseball with himself, the bar scene, which to me reminds me a little bit of X-Men, having fun with that speed in, X-Men Days of Future Past, I think it was, where they break Magneto out of like the Pentagon. Yeah. Very, very fun, very unique. And I very much appreciated that set piece when I saw it. And I have to agree here, you want to have so much fun with it because it's it's the unique trait that makes Sonic different than anyone but those characters. Like another one, I thought they did a cool job of it in the sequel one. You don't really see Sonic doing it so much. You see it when Knuckles and Robotnik are running through the maze to reach the Master Emerald. They're running through these traps and sequences we played, you know, in the 90s in Sonic video games. Right. And, and that was- I, you're like, yes, this is this is the Sonic as I remember it. So I thought that they did a good job of using these characters in the right way for this property that you could only get those experiences in a Sonic universe. So I have what one did- more thing that I want yeah. to ask you about, and that is Super Sonic. 
Oh, yeah. First of all, is this the closest we're ever going to get to like a live action Super Saiyan? <laughs> Maybe. When, you know, when they tried to make Dragon Ball Z movies, those were Ooh, not We'll do that sometime. Good. But aside <laughs> from that. What are your that, thoughts? How did, how did they execute that? Because, I mean, obviously that's like the ultimate power up. And in the context of the story in the movie here, it kind of has like ultimate power in a sense. So I saw the Sonic 2 opening night. It was me and like... 500 middle school earth <laughs> so but people went nuts when supersonic came out there were people jumping up and down in the theater some kid got up he walked out of the movie theater shook his head and walked right back in so people loved it i thought it was a great addition to the movie in video game lore when he gets all the chaos emeralds what happens yeah so I was glad they included it. Now, from a writing standpoint, this was actually one of my major gripes with Sonic 2. Knuckles has a line after he defeats Robotnik where he says, oh, okay. Sonic's, you know, the most powerful creature in the universe. Like, he's not the Sonic you know. And he's hinting at this fact how ultimate power is, is that too when the much hot dogs, for The hot dogs drop out of the sky? Yeah, then, then Sonic summons the hot dogs because he's still Sonic. There's this conversation in the war between the owls and the echidnas that Tails talks about through the movie where they wanted to hide this source of ultimate power because because no one should have ultimate power. I think that the movie just glossed over what I see as an incredible character move. The fact that Sonic did have ultimate power and he relinquished it because that's not who he is to the core and he's not mm -hmm. about power. I think that that was such a character moment that they didn't actually build to properly and they didn't live in that moment when the character was there. It was just sort of- Well, I mean, a, with the hot dogs a, and kind of the, the little jokes, they also kind of undermine it with comedy. Yeah. I mean, I think you're right. There is kind of a lesson in there. Obviously, the movie starts off with him wanting to be a hero. Here he is with this ultimate power, but you know, as all the great stories and lessons teach us when you have great power often it corrupts people you know yeah. it's kind of a, the lesson of spider-man great power comes great responsibility but often in real life when people attain certain levels of power they become corrupted a lot of times you see them turn into the villains which is also a uh, theme throughout comic book movies yeah it's interesting because i think you're right there's an opportunity to have really a powerful moment in the film and it just gets undercut a lot to me it's there it's there but it just gets undercut with comedy so i have two questions and then i'm ready to get to the big question of the show shoot what did you think about the dance sequence i've heard mixed feelings of it. the dance off in sonic 2 loved it I did too. I know people who hated it, but I thought it was hilarious in the it's totally in line film. with the yeah, it's totally to in the line with the tone are. of the film. Obviously, I love dance sequences. I love to dance myself. I love the 80s bar. But I know, I know. just in general, I thought it was fun. No complaints for me. I think, you know, if they were doing maybe a serious, a more serious movie or something, you know, a perfect example, we were talking about Spider-Man, Spider-Man 3, when Tobey yeah, Maguire's good like, example. Eight, you're like, nah, doesn't work. Doesn't work. Uh, too much of a, a different tone for the rest of the movie to be this silly. And here, I think the opposite is true. I think if you're ever going to put a dance sequence in a movie, do it here. Yeah, do it right. and have fun. I thought it yeah. was a lot of fun. Last question. I think this is a big one. They say this is the video game movie that broke the curse of video game movies. Mm. The one that okay. Sonic won. Why? What's, what's your take on that? And why do you think so many video game movies are so disappointing to fans? I think it stems from where this whole conversation started and we can go full circle right here. I think at the end of the day, the producers and the writers decided to make a movie for the fans. And I think where a lot of video game movies 
fail is people are trying to translate them. How do we make it work in live action? You're like, just make what was awesome in live action. Like uh, mm -hmm. ultimately that's what people want to see. Now, again, it, things don't have to be translated one-to-one -one, and they're not here. Perfect example is comic book movies. Uh, the Dark Knight borrows from Killing Joke and The Long Halloween. Different comics, it, it's kind of remixing some stories and creating its own thing. And you hear about the Infinity Gauntlet or, you know, the Infinity War. Marvel's doing their take on it in live action, but it's not, they're not pulling the exact story out of the comics. Mm -hmm. So I think what video game movies get wrong often is they're always tweaking it to the point where it's like they're betraying fans and in doing so they never craft really good stories. Gotcha. I think a lot of times it just comes down to stories. Like even something like Mortal Kombat, especially Mortal Kombat uh, 1, yeah. you know, from the 90s, it works to a certain degree because they actually have Mortal Kombat. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think you look at the sequel and the new one and they never even actually have a tournament. The first one even works at the level that it does. And I mean, there is egregious things in that movie where you're like, wow, kind of works because it's an actual fighting tournament. No, you're right. There's a germ of something in that story that works really well. They got to identify what that is. So you don't lift the video game out level for level, as well as don't change it so much that it's only a whiff of what the game was about. Fans are like, I'd rather just play the game. I think you're absolutely right. So I'm going to ask you then, mm -hmm. which one do you think did it better? Sonic 1 or Sonic 2? I mean, to a certain degree, I think Sonic 2 gets it more right. It's a little bit more video game-esque. I think they understand the characters. I think Jim Carrey understands Robotnik a little bit more. Obviously, we get to see Super Sonic and some of that stuff. But there's a certain delight to the first movie that sticks with me because I had such underwhelming expectations. Okay. Trust me. I thought yeah, I thought it was going to be terrible. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, I'm thinking like 90s Super Mario Brothers. Like, I was thinking it was going to be like really bad. I think I'm going to have to give tip of the cap to the first one just because... It surprised me. Where I think the second one, I wasn't so much surprised. I was like, it's more of the same and they do it a little bit better to be able to pull it off the way the first one did, especially given the controversy and my expectations. I'll give the nod there. Fair enough. Well, I love this movie. The first one. I think it's an awesome introduction to Sonic and I love the heart and the story. I think it's universal and I think that's part of the reason why it was so successful. As a diehard fan, I loved finally getting to see Tails and Knuckles. This was the video game comic book cartoon in the film. It was fun for me as a fan to finally get to see that. So I'm going to go with Sonic 2. But audience, what's your thoughts? Which of us is wrong? Which of us is right? Let us know. I'm usually right, so. <laughs> yeah, about Star Wars. Yeah, well, I'll take that. That does it for our episode today. So I'm going to throw it out to you listeners. Be sure to continue the conversations, comment, and engage on our posts on social media. You can find all of our links and directories for the podcast at filmmakerscompass.com. You can follow me at Big Kid D Man, and you can follow CP at NDCal5. CP, I'm going to throw it over to you. Thanks for hanging out and talking about Sonic with us. We hope you had a great time. We certainly did. If you didn't watch either of the movies, won't well, Make sure you check them out. On that note, keep watching movies and we will see you back here next week.